We've been talking the last few weeks about the body of Christ and how each one of us, though we are many, we represent one body just like our own bodies. Our own bodies have many different parts. Arms and legs and ears and eyes and so forth and head. And yet it's all part of one single body. And the Bible says in this way, it is the same in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are all part of one body. The body of Christ. The family of God. The church of God. It all is the same. And if, friends, we believe and we receive Christ Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, then we have become, in fact, part of the family of God. He gives us the right to become children of God, it says in His Word. Over and over in the Bible, it talks about the family of God. And, it even, and we talked about the Ten Commandments and how even a number of those are pointing uh, and leading us on how to function together as a family, as a body. All right. Now, oftentimes, and we kind of reference this, and it happens in a lot of different families, where somebody will do something to you, and they really hurt you. And it it hurts you more. Why? Because they're close to you. Those that are closest to you can hurt you the worst. And it stings. And it hurts. And oftentimes, because of that hurt and our anger, we say, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And Friends, I have done so many funerals, and the families that come to the funerals haven't seen each other or talked to each other purposely for years because of some rift in the family. They don't want it that way, per se, but no one is willing to put in the effort to heal that relationship. And so... Because of that reluctance, because of that refusal to invest in that relationship, that relationship eventually dies. That relationship will die, even though they are still a part of their own family. Okay? And that's a shame. That's a real shame. Sometimes people die and those relationships are never again, they never have the opportunity to be healed. Sometimes we take those things to our graves. And those things are never healed. Never again will we have that opportunity to fix those things. Whenever I do a funeral, I always make sure that I take a few moments and just remind people, use this funeral, use this as a reminder. Use it as an opportunity to start again. Use it as an opportunity to repair broken relationships. You'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. Relationships are worth investing in. And as the body of Christ, let's face it, there's some real jerks in the family of Christ. 
Yeah? Yeah, there's real dummies in the family of God. That's tough. And so sometimes it's really hard to get along with dummies. It's hard to fly like an eagle when you're soaring and and on the ground with turkeys. Think about it. Yeah? But here's the thing. We are all part of the family of God and not one of us is perfect. Not one of us. Though we think we got it all together and though we think our backyards are real clean, you know what I'm talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. We like to hide all our junk in the backyard behind the house, behind the shed, so nobody see how dirty it is. And out front, it looks so peaceful and clean and flowers and everything's all nice and manicured lawn, but behind the house is where all the dirty stuff hides. Yeah? God sees our backyards, friends. He knows what we hiding, doesn't he? And so we sometimes look at other people like they've got to fix their lives. And one of the greatest losses speaking about the family of God is that when we hear these things, instead of thinking, okay, I could really do better in that area, we're thinking, yeah, I hope they're hearing that. You got work to do in that area. I hope she's listening. Yeah? Isn't that it? Isn't that the truth? But that's not the way God is intending it. God is intending this for us to work on us, not for us to work on somebody else. This is for us to work on us. And we talked last week about how willing we are to judge other people and how prepared and perfect we are to be able to take the tiny little speck out of their eye when all the while the Bible says we have a log in our own eye. We have no right, thus it is saying, to be working on somebody else and fixing their faults when we are loaded with faults ourselves. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9? So Jesus is talking with his disciples and those that had followed him. And he's teaching them. He begins to teach them. And and we call this section the Beatitudes, right? In a sense, be this way. Okay? Right? So he goes through the Beatitudes, and in verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Friends, we have a choice to be a peacemaker. That is not an easy thing to do. 
Because a lot of times we end up sucking it up in a sense. Okay? In a lot, a lot of instances, we have to give up our right, if you want to call it that, give up our right to defend ourselves and show ourselves right because we know that we are and they're wrong and they need to be shown they're wrong and we're going to be on our pedestal pointing down to everybody else. But Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If you had to pick somebody out in church or in in your family, uh, you could probably pick somebody out that would probably be considered a peacemaker. Maybe that person is you. And if it is, God bless you for that. God bless you for that. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you're one of the ones that's contributing to all the hullabaloo, which can be also in many cases. All right, if we're being honest here, okay? Blessed, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're going to be called children of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to jump around a bit today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. Now, we're getting into the good stuff. Yeah? Do not repay evil for evil. Have you ever been wronged and you felt like you were just going to take that person out and just make it right because you got the power to do it and you got all the, you got, you're right. You're right. And they're wrong. And you're going to put them in their place. And you got just the mouth to do it. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do not repay evil for evil. Mm. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. You ever feel like when somebody does that to you and it hurts, it hurts. And you can feel this, this anger beginning to come up within you and your blood begins to boil. Huh? And you can just feel, you can just feel that teapot ready to blow any minute. Yeah? That volcano is ready to burst and anybody close going to get it. Don't repay evil for evil. Insult for insult. How about your neighbor? Neighbors can be really fun to deal with. Neighbors can also be a pain in your behind. Yeah. Maybe your neighbor blows all his leaves over on your side. Maybe your neighbor allows his kids to ride their dirt bikes down your side lawn. Whatever the case may be. 
And boy, that just irritates you. And you know what? They ought to know better. They should know better. They should know not to do that. They should know what's right. They know where that dividing line is, and yet they still do it. Well, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. You ever feel like that? Maybe you've done that before. Yeah? And responded in the way that the world would respond. And that is the natural reaction, isn't it? The natural reaction is not to say, well, he's my neighbor, and I'm going to show the love of Christ. I'm going to love him. That is not the natural reaction. That takes effort, a lot of effort, and a lot of self-control. But this is God's command to you and I, his children. Now, I want you to think about an instance in your life that as a believer, you are still reacting in this way to someone who has hurt you or treated you badly or in some way uh, done evil to you. How are we to respond, friends? Well, right here, in plain black and white, the Bible says, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Well, wait a minute. Are they just going to get away with it all? Is that the way it is? Is that the way it works? That's the way we feel. On the contrary, it says, repay evil with what? Blessing. Are you nuts? Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Whoa, did you catch that? If you're not watching, you'll miss it. They must seek peace and pursue it. Sometimes, friend, to be a peacemaker, you have to go after peace. You have to choose peace when you have the choice to do something else. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, friends, what happens if someone has done evil to us, to harm us, to hurt us in some way, and we have the opportunity to respond with peace or to repay evil for evil, and we choose responding to repay evil for evil and insult for insult. What then happens? Exactly. It says it right here. It says it right here. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if we repay evil for evil, the face of the Lord is set against us. We don't want that. Previous, it says... The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. 
We want the blessings of God. We want God to be having his eyes on us and his ears attentive to our prayers. But if we are returning evil for evil and insult for insult, God does the very opposite. If we treat each other and others in this way, this is the way God will treat us. Why? Because he gave everything for you, though we didn't deserve it. And so we must do the same to others. And it's hard. The one thing that I wrestle with with this is the fact that they're going to get away with stuff. Ain't that the way it is? We want them to pay for what they've done. But God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So God says, you give that to me, and I'm going to take care of it. And that's where trust comes in. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay How about this? Have you ever felt like you're the only one trying to be the peacemaker? And unless you move, nobody else tries. You ever feel like that? You are the one that has to be the peacemaker all the time. Friends, let's be honest here. That can be a heavy weight to bear and sometimes i've felt this way i'm probably you have to that sometimes you feel like i'm just not going to do it anymore nobody else cares why should i care right why should i have to continue to give why should i be the one that's always got to be walked over why am i the one that always has to be the one to initiate everything Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I promise you, I promise you, and I'll promise you again that God sees every single time that you are the peacemaker. And you, above anyone else, will be rewarded for that very thing. I promise you. So from here on in, you be the one. You be the one that is the peacemaker in your family. You be the one that is a peacemaker in the church. You be the one that is a peacemaker at work. Why? Because you are representing God himself. In whatever you do, God's name, the name of the Lord is plastered on your heart. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. And when I say be the peacemaker, I don't mean that you can, because you could kind of be a peacemaker and make it look like you're bringing all the peace to the family and you, you kind of toot yourself around because you're carrying this pride like, well, I'll do it. I'll do it. You can just go on your merry way and be a jerk. I'll be the one, I'll be the mature one, and do what's right. Is that going to help anything at all? No, 
It's not. It's going to make things worse because you look like a holier-than-thou kind of person, and they're not going to want anything to do with your God or your religion or your Jesus. So if you're going to do this, which you should, do it right. Do it humbly. And do it in a manner that is pleasing to God. Do it in a manner where you are not elevating yourself above them, making them feel lower than they already are by taking the high road and lording it over everyone else. You are humble. You are the peacemaker before God because his eyes are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. You be the one. You be, as a matter of fact, you be the first one. You be the first one that's making the effort to bring peace to the situation. How about that? And you know what that means you got to do? That means you got to give up your rights. But God is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. They're close to my heart. That's what I am. Jesus saying, I'm, a, I'm the peacemaker between God and man. You be the peacemaker between you and your brother and sister. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Now listen to verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always do what? Strive. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Friends, oftentimes that means giving up your rights. Giving up your rights for the good of everyone involved. Though you could demand one thing, you choose the option, option to be the peacemaker. Don't pay back wrong for wrong, but always strive. Remember it said, pursue peace. You do it. You pursue peace. Strive, it says in this verse, to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And remember how we talked about the, the Bible is speaking not only just to us personally, but more so the body of Christ. The scriptures are for the body of Christ, the family of God. Be patient with each other. Encourage each other. Help those that are weak. And that doesn't necessarily mean those who are weak in their bodies. This is talking those who are weak spiritually and their face, faith is smaller. All right? Help those people. Colossians chapter 3. A few pages back. 
Colossians chapter 3. Are you guys doing okay here today? Yeah? All right, just making sure we all hear. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Sometimes the Word of God makes us uncomfortable. You ever notice that? It makes us uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I like to hear how good I'm doing. I want all the blessings, and I don't want none of that working on stuff. I don't want to have to pursue nothing. Give me all the good stuff that's coming to me. Whoa, hey. Dangerous. I don't want to get what's coming to me. I want the mercy of the Lord and His grace. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to start in 13. Sorry, guys. (laughs) The guys back, they always hate that when I do that. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Bear with each other And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There is no escape, friends, from us not forgiving somebody else because Christ forgave us. We can't escape it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in what? Perfect unity, which is what God wants. This is the purpose of all of this body of Christ stuff. (laughs) All these scriptures, all these passages, and all of the different authors, it's all for unity in the body of Christ. Together, we're pulling in the same direction. And I've used this uh, illustration before, but it's, it just works really well. In the Amish, they use their, their horses to pull machinery. And when they're plowing their fields and disking their fields, they got six or eight horses on the front of that thing, and those horses are prancing around. They are ready to go. And as soon as he cracks that whip, they are off and running pulling in the same direction. They're not going out to the sides here, to this way, to this way. They are all moving in the same direction. And by the sundown of that day, that field is plowed because those horses are working together. They're going the same direction. I wonder, friends, what would happen in the church of God, the family of God, if we all pulled in the same direction, if we had unity among the brethren as the body, as the Bible says, if we sacrificed our own rights for the good of the body to encourage somebody else, I wonder what we could accomplish together. I wonder... If the churches together, if we all pulled in the same direction. How about that? That makes things a little bit different, doesn't it? We, could, we might be able to manage pulling in the same direction in our own church, but what about us pulling in the same direction with other churches? Wow. Because aren't they too the family of God? The power that is in the midst. When God's people work together, and I'm not just talking here at the lighthouse, friends. I'm talking 
in the church of God around the world. If we would quit fighting each other on what is the right way to worship, what is the right version of the Bible to read, if we would quit majoring on the minors and focus on what's important, I wonder what the church of God could accomplish. The Bible says, Jesus told his disciples, by all this, by, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. By this will all men, saved and not, know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. If Alabama shows light, shows love to Calvary, and Alabama shows love to Oak Orchard, and you get the picture. And that's what we are attempting to do in PACT, Pastors Aligned for Community Transformation. We're attempting to change the whole demographic of our area, the way things look, the way people think, what's acceptable and what's not, by functioning in unity and saving people for the glory of God. When there is unity, friends, revival is not far behind. When there is unity among the body of Christ, revival is not far behind. Why? Because God pours out His Spirit. It's like a runway, and God's Spirit sees it from miles away. And He says, there's unity. That's my runway my spirit is going to land there. (laughs) How about that? If you want revival, it starts with unity, and it starts with you. Let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. How can I be a peacemaker? How can I be the encourager in my family? How can I show love to people that don't know Jesus? How can I be the peacemaker at work? I'm going to close with this next scripture, John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's he's praying for them that they will not fall away when he leaves. In verse 20, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So it just doesn't stop with the disciples. It needs to continue. So Jesus is not only praying for the disciples, he's praying for those that will come to believe through what they say. That all, in verse 21, of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, or just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. May we all 
be one in Christ. May we all be one in Christ. This is Jesus' prayer as he's leaving those that are going to take over and establish the church. You see, there was no church when Jesus left. Did you ever think about that? There was no church when Jesus left. He gave that job to the disciples. And it was their job to go here and there and to preach the gospel and to establish churches where there was none before. That's exactly what we do in Guatemala. You know that? In the mountains of Guatemala, that's exactly what we do. Edna is already there. She left the other day. Luis and I will be leaving March 4th to go visit the churches in Guatemala to preach to the pastors of these churches up in the mountains, encouraging the brothers. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Here it is again. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete what? Unity. Complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world will know. When will the world know? When? When we are in unity. Complete unity. If you want to affect your family, if you want to affect this church, if you want to affect this area, your workplace, your school, function in the body of Christ with unity and let them all see, let them all see that what you believe is real. Not by pointing out everybody's faults. That is not going to do it. All that's going to do is show your hypocrisy because they know just as well as you do and I do that you're not perfect either. And so we have no right to be pointing out others' imperfections. How is the the world going to know that we serve a real God? By us showing love to one another. That we function in complete unity. This is Jesus' prayer for those that would be establishing his church. Would you stand with me today? My prayer through all of this is that you look into yourself. My prayer is that you look, you do some inventory, as my dad used to say. Take inventory of what's going on in your heart and in your life. What areas do you need some work on? This is not so that you can be more self-righteous and think yourself better than other people because the Bible says to think exactly the opposite. To think of others as greater than yourselves. The purpose of all of this is so that we look inside of ourselves. How can I be an encourager? How can I be a peacemaker? How can I be one that diffuses arguments 
God, help us to be the one. Because we can't do that by ourselves. That is not a natural human way to respond. This takes maturity. This takes self-control. This takes practice, doesn't it? It takes practice. This is God's desire for you and I. This is God's desire for His church. And when there is unity in the body of Christ, He just pours out His Spirit so much that we can't contain it. We need to ask God to help us in these areas. I'm praying when God moves, when God speaks to us a message like he is speaking to us, friends, he is beckoning a response from us. He's waiting for us to react and to respond to his calling, to his leading. He's waiting for us to follow My heart is that you would recognize maybe some areas that you need to work on. Maybe repaying other people for what they have done for you or to you. Maybe you being the peacemaker instead of a contributor to petty arguments. Maybe you making the first move and repairing a relationship.